Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast with the listeners in more than 100 countries. My name is Hana Lee. I am president and founder of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning co-author of The Japanese Hour of the Cocktail, and a food and beverage writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. So we created our podcast so that our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, our media guests from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel professionals can be spotlighted in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guests' tips. So, you could be next. Also, please send your favorite pitching tips from the episode to hello at hanaleecommunications.com for a chance to win a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail. And now, moving on to the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Brian Friedman, a freelance writer who covers wine, spirits, travel, and food for publications like Food & Wine, Forbes.com, and Whiskey Advocate. He's also the author of Crushed, his first book that focuses on the impact of climate change on spirits and wine. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. So great to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Brian, you wear a, a lot of hats. You are a very talented writer, but also book author, a speaker, and more. So let's start with your journey to journalism and tell us how did you break into the field? When I was, uh, what, a sophomore in college, I convinced a local magazine in central Pennsylvania that I was 21 years old when I was not. And they gave me a, uh, a wine and cigar and beer column. And then once they found out that I was underage, I was immediately fired. Um, but, you know, I think I, I got bitten by the bug. I, I interned with the uh, with the editor of the food section in our local paper here in Philadelphia. And that sort of showed me how it's done on a professional level. Um, but I didn't always do this full time. In fact, when I graduated uh, Penn State, I moved to New York to be a writer. But I was 22 years old. I was drinking lots of wine, but I wasn't mature enough to buckle down and write about it. So I enrolled at NYU, got a master's in secondary English education, moved back to the Philadelphia suburbs and taught high school English for three years from 2002 to 05. And then midway through my third year, my wife said to me, hey, Bri, do me a favor. And I said, you know what? I thought she was going to ask me to like pick up pizza for dinner. She said, I, I think you should quit your job at the end of the year. I said, huh? And said, you know, it's not your passion. And if you're going to be a teacher, you owe it to the kids to be passionate about it. And my, my coworkers were passionate about teaching and I just wasn't. So uh, I quit at the end of the year uh, and, you know, took that that 10 to 15 year vow of poverty while I tried to make a living at it. Uh, but, you know, you really discover quickly along the way that. This industry is full of some of the kindest, most generous people 
And so many people along the way were so generous with their time and connections and expertise. You know, I am forever indebted to John Mariani and I am forever indebted to Ray Isle. Uh, you know, there's so many people who have have really just done some wonderful things. And, and you know, amazingly to this day now, I, I work regularly with food and wine, you know, Ray and I are, you know, talking on email and Slack, whatever. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a wonderful, amazing, surreal thing. So yeah, the friendliness of our industry is, it never ceases to amaze me. Well, we, we, we thank our lucky stars for being in this industry as well. And we wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, as, as a fellow writer, I can always say that, you know, we love your writing and find it always illuminating and humorous and educational, but in a gentle sort of way. You know, it's not like you're lecturing, but it's more like, you know, you're just sharing some some good stuff with, with friends, you know, in a very helpful way. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners what kinds of topics that you cover and actually how you choose them? I would say my, my big focus is on wine and spirits. Uh, I am doing more and more travel writing as well. A lot of that is through the lens of what we eat and what we drink. Uh, although, you know, let's be honest, I think for most of us, when we travel anywhere, whether it's to our kitchen or, you know, to the other side of the world, it's, you know, often to experience the wine and the food and the cocktails. And in addition to the culture and, 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 you know, everything else that's wonderful about traveling. Um, so yeah, I would say wine and spirits and then, and then, um, travel and food as well. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how, how I choose what I write about, that's, that's an interesting question because I think for, for anybody who writes, uh, for a living and writes for websites, for magazines, there is, uh, a, a give and take between the writer and the editor or editors that you work with. And the most successful ones of those relationships are the ones in which there is an ongoing dialogue. So, you know, with food and wine digital, for example, uh, it's, it's just, it's like the best team in the world there and they're great. They're great. I mean, you know, you said Ray is, is just amazing. He's, he's not just sort of legendary, but the nicest guy in the world. Um, you know, and on the digital side, you know, uh, Sean Flynn, uh, my, my editor, Oset, who's wonderful. And, you know, there's this great sort of open dialogue where if there's something that I think is interesting, I will pitch it to them. If there's something that they need for the site, they will ask me if that's something that I might want to cover. So that sense of give and take is great because I don't just have the opportunity uh, to hopefully write about things that I'm passionate about, but also I have the opportunity to write about things that I might not necessarily have thought I wanted to write about and discover new things to to be able to cover. So it's really, uh, it's exhilarating. Oh, it seems like a great collaboration between you and your editors. We love this uh, editorial folks at Food and Wine. Like you mentioned Sean and Oset and Ray. I mean, they're just the nicest and also very passionate people. Yeah. And very smart, very smart. I mean, that's that's the other thing that you find in this business is people tend to be deeply interested 
in a wide range of things, both within the realm of what, you know, they're covering and writing about and editing and outside of it. And I just love that. I mean, I've, I've never had a boring dinner or meeting or conversation with anybody in this line of work. Um, and that's that we're very lucky in that regard. Speaking about interesting things, we really enjoyed your story on the 56 best American whiskeys under 100 bucks, very much in our budget range. So what was the tasting and selection process like? Ooh, um, <laughs> uh, it was it was challenging tasting that critical mass of whiskeys in order to narrow it down, which sounds funny, right? I had to narrow it down to more than 50, but it was a process to just get to that number. Um, you know, to get to 56 whiskeys, uh, to recommend you're tasting twice as many, right? Sometimes more. Um, you really have to protect your palate, which sounds like a sort of funny, vaguely pretentious thing to say. But, you know, if, if you're tasting, you know, dozens upon dozens of whiskeys in a single sitting, I'm not convinced, at least with my personal physiology, I lose the ability to really parse the nuances of any given whiskey after that. So, you know, I found that I was really trying to limit myself to like two dozen a day. Uh, beyond that, it's sort of diminishing returns. I personally am some, someone who prefers tasting in the morning. Um, that's when my palate is sharpest. That's when, uh, you know, look what you eat and drink over the course of the day will have an impact on how you're perceiving, uh, these liquids in your glass. Right. So, you know, I like to do it early in the day, which has its own set of issues, right? I mean, even if you're spitting two dozen whiskeys before 10 in the morning, you're still tasting and absorbing a couple dozen whiskeys before 10 in the morning. Um, so it's a lot of it is not just uh, the tasting itself, but it's also the planning, right? How do you break it down with that many whiskeys to taste? One day you focus on rye, another day you focus on bourbon. Maybe one day you focus on cask proof, another day it's 80 proof. So there's a lot of nuts and bolts that go into it before you can pour that first sample. You know, in our industry, bartenders, bar owners, um, spirits brand owners, and sommeliers and winemakers, they all have an incredible stories, whether they find something interesting or about themselves as well, who do not have professional PR agency on board, who they have to do it themselves. So what are the top three things that you can share so that they can have a confidence to come to you? Um, number one would be do not hesitate to ever reach out. Um, you know, I think a lot of times pitching somebody can be a, a challenging, vaguely intimidating uh, process and prospect. Um, but the truth is, you know, all of us who do what what I do for a living um, is, you know, we, we, we all started off being equally terrified to pitch somebody, right? Who the heck is going to respond to my email? Um, so don't don't hesitate. You, the worst that'll happen is it'll get lost in the in the eight bajillion emails that come in every day, and then just follow up. But don't follow up like the next day. Uh, you know that 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 week long follow up a week later is I think a great idea. Also, like if if you email me and I don't get back to you, I mean literally I'm looking at my phone right now 
And my inbox on my phone, there are 21,656 unread messages in my inbox right now. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't read them. Most of them I've read and then said, oh, I'll mark that as unread and get back to it. But it's, it's not it's not a good situation. My wife can't even look at my phone. She said she feels emotionally claustrophobic when she sees that number. And I get that. I don't blame her. <laughs> it's terrible. And I'm not proud of that. But the point is, you know, if it if I don't get back to you, DM me on Instagram. You know, that's not inappropriate. That's just a great way to get to me. Um, but try emailing first. The other thing is make it concise, but also be enthusiastic, right? That's very important as well. The other thing, make it personal. Um, you know, make it personal. Anytime you're pitching anybody, address by name, right? Don't, you know, the worst thing you can do is to say, hey, comma, or hi there, comma. Because I personally assume that it's just you've, you've sprayed it out to, you know, some sort of database of journalists and, and I'm probably not going to read it. But if it's, you know, hi, Brian, I'll read a little bit, but also make sure that you're, you're, that what you're pitching is in the, the sort of sandbox of whatever journalist you're pitching covers, right? Like I get so many pitches every week about kombucha. I have never in my life written about kombucha. Um, I, it's just not something I have ever done. Nothing against kombucha. It's lovely. I don't write about it. So I think those are the keys. Great tips. Yeah, those, those are terrific. So let, let's move on to uh, social media, which we're very passionate about. What platforms do you find most effective when you're working on a story? You know, it's interesting. I, I generally speaking, don't put out the, you know, a call for help on social media. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues do, and it's, it's, there's neither way of approaching things is better or worse. It's personal preference. Um, but I will say that in terms of getting ideas, uh, of what different brands are doing, uh, that I find Instagram is the most helpful. Um, I think there's this there's this visual language that has evolved over the years on Instagram that uh, wine and spirit uh, brands have really learned how to perfect. And for me, you know, it, it might look like I'm sitting in the chair in my office doom scrolling, but I'm actually not doom scrolling. I'm, I'm looking at what brands are doing, what might be new or interesting. Um, the same thing comes with travel. Right. I mean, a, a 10 or 15 second video clip of a property in, you know, X, Y, Z doesn't matter. It could be, you know, southern New Jersey. It could be Bali. But, you know, you really get this sense of what's of, of not just what they're doing there, but how that brand wants to be perceived. And I think that's very uh, instructive and informative. So that Instagram for me, I think, is really helpful. We couldn't agree more. We truly enjoy watching your series on Instagram called Day Drinking with Brian. So how did you come up with this idea? It was not me, although, uh, you know, I'll take the credit. So here's the story. Uh, it was early on in the pandemic in 2020. My wife had been telling me for a long time, you should do something with social media video. And I was like, eh, I don't really want to do, you know, it's not my thing. Well, you know, uh, several weeks or a couple of months into the 
scary phase of the pandemic when nobody wanted to leave their house. Um, I came down the stairs one day and I said, Steph, I have this brilliant idea. And she said, what? And I said, we should do like, like a drinking video series on Instagram. She goes, really? That's your brilliant idea? I said, no, I stole it from you. Um, and it was like, you know, we were day drinking anyway, like everybody else, right? It was like, well, it's 2.30 on a Tuesday. We're late for our daily Negroni, right? So it just was a thing to do during the early days of the pandemic. Yeah, now we're at episode 120 something, I think. Uh, we have brands that will reach out and ask to, you know, sponsor episodes. And it's, it's interesting. Now, I think it's a great platform for you because we can see your personality. We can see your passion. You're, you're a natural. Yeah, so we love it. We love it. So how far in advance do you curate your topic? Oh, okay. So that depends. Um, you know, if I know that I'm going to be tasting uh, X, Y, and Z in terms of category in any given week, then I'll try to plan a week ahead, sometimes two weeks ahead. Although as, as you know, we discussed with my ever expanding inbox of unread messages, that's not always the case. I'm not the world's most organized person, but I do try to plan a week or so ahead. Certainly with sponsored episodes, um, you know, we'll plan well in advance because I need to understand uh, what I'm going to be featuring. And I do all my research and, and pre-tasting. Um, so it's, you know, it really depends upon the nature of what I'm going to be uh, covering. But sometimes, to be honest, I have plans, um, you know, for a regular unsponsored episode. And then the morning that I know I'm going to be filming that afternoon, I'll taste something and I'll say, I have to feature this. This is incredible. So things can change at the last minute. It truly is based on what I am most excited about that I, I am and have been tasting. As you know, we're passionate about all things literary, and we congratulate you on the debut of your book, Yay. Crushed. So if you could tell our listeners about the book and the impetus for writing it now. So I think it's easy sometimes for consumers to think, well, A, how does climate change possibly affect you know, the wines and spirits in our glasses, aside from the fires that they see on the news or, or the floods, but even beyond those more dramatic impacts of climate change, the more subtle shifts that are happening in a growing season are having big impacts, whether it's a commodity cereal grain farm that spirit producers are, are, are sourcing from, or if it's a small family-owned vineyard. But that wasn't really being talked about as widely from a consumer standpoint. I wanted to tell the stories of the people who are responsible for these liquids and really sort of a, a more narrative-driven way of, of, of showcasing what's happening in eight different regions around the world. And I didn't want a book that was all doom and gloom because certainly it's not. I firmly believe that the folks who are responsible for these liquids are going to be leaders in helping us figure out a way forward and ways to pivot in the face of climate change. Um, there's, there's a lot of good that our industry is doing that will have benefit outside of our industry too, as everyone is having to deal with this climate weirdness. As a winemaker in Texas told me, she said, it's not about global warming, it's about global weirding. And I love that line. And I think that it's important to tell these stories and to show how 
the folks in our business are figuring out a way forward. You're, you're telling it through these vignettes and really focusing on the human interest angle as a way into each of these stories we thought was particularly effective. And, you know, you really brought it to life that way, as opposed to, you know, all, all the graphs and, and data that, uh, you know, we're constantly dealing with. Uh, you made it very human and relatable and upbeat, you know, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which which we appreciated. Yeah. That's high praise. Thank you. Thank you. As you know, our podcast is called Hospitality Forward. And in your opinion, what organization or person have you seen recently innovating and moving the hospitality and travel industry forward? You know, I think that there is something that's happening across the board at the very high end of travel and hospitality. And this is a a paradigm shift from when I was younger. And what I mean is this, when I was younger, there was a sense of exclusivity, right? There was this idea that you would go to the great restaurant and you as the guest, it is your privilege to be there. Um, If you were staying at one of the quintessential world-class hotel brands anywhere in the world, there was a sense of maybe you couldn't relax quite as much, right? Because that's, that's, there's a, there's a, a certain behavioral expectation, let's call it. And what I have noticed uh, over the years is that at the high end of things, there is such a wonderful sense of inclusivity and joy that gets conveyed. And I'm seeing that all over, not just at the high end of things, right? And, and I also will say when it comes to hospitality is it doesn't matter where you are, but there is this sense of you can't get away with doing things sort of halfway anymore because no matter what your budget is, you should be able to expect something great. Um, give you an example. Uh, in our suburb of Philadelphia, um, there is just our favorite local bar. It's called Ripplewood. Shout out to the team there. And they are amazing. And, you know, th- all of their cocktails are just perfectly balanced. They're thoughtful. But before the pandemic, they used to have a happy hour. And it was like four to six or four to seven every day, every day, Friday and Saturday included. And it was $5 old fashions that they were doing. And it was like, Heaven Hill, it was, you know, I mean, they're, they're not poor and pappy. If you're making a pappy old fashioned, by the way, shame on you. Um, but like they were, it was a $5 old fashioned and it was perfect, right? They changed the, the ratio of bitters to simple syrup to whiskey because the Heaven Hill had different needs than, you know, the Knob Creek or whatever it was they're using for their regular old fashioned. And they gave as much thought to that $5 happy hour drink as they did to everything else. And to me, I love this idea at the very high end or at your favorite fabulous neighborhood bar, you can get great thoughtful things. And that's a real testament. Incredible. That's, that's beautiful. And I think it was high time for hospitality to rediscover hospitality and really inject the human element, the warmth, the welcome that we also crave. And you know, especially now that we've come out of the pandemic, people even appreciate things that much more because they were denied for so long. And 
I think, you know, everyone's up their game. Everyone is really giving people a reason to leave their homes. You know, people started, you know, home bartending and making drinks at home and drinking more wine at home. Now people have to try harder to get them out of the house. But right. that's that's really raised the bar and it's it's really been a boon for everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I definitely see more humanity compassion and kindness in in our industry. And it has been that way. But I think we see more and more of that because that was that's what our industry makes so special. Yeah. And and you know, all of us, you know, got pretty good at making cocktails at home during the first couple of years of the pandemic. But how much nicer is it to have a great cocktail or a great glass of wine and sit at a bar and make conversation with strangers, whether that stranger is behind the bar or next to you and the sound of glassware and the that white noise hum of conversation surrounding you, that sense of that sense of community and hospitality, they are inextricably linked. And I think that uh, that process was well underway before the pandemic. And I think that has only uh, served uh, to speed that up and intensify it, which is really benefiting all of us. And now it's time for a fun question. What is your favorite drink and who would you share it with and why? Uh, well, you know, I do I do love sharing uh, a drink with my wife. Um, she has synesthesia, uh, which for those of you who are not familiar with it, it's it's something that you're born with. It's quite rare, but essentially, the the neural networks in her brain that process sensory evaluations they're crossed so she tastes and smells you know she'll she'll smell mezcal and she'll smell smoke and she'll smell you know whatever she's smelling there but she also tastes shapes and she can smell colors and they've she's been involved in studies so tasting with her is fascinating she's also just really fun to drink with because you know, great conversation and, 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 you know, loves a good cocktail and glass of wine. Um, but to me, you know, what's my favorite drink? My grandfather had a line and he, he was this, this bon vivant, amazing guy. And he always said that, uh, his favorite glass of wine is the one in the glass in front of him. And I love that idea of, you know, anytime any of us are lucky enough to have something delicious in our glass and to have someone next to us whose company we enjoy, uh, I think that's a great thing. So I'm going to leave it at that. Great. Well said. You travel a lot for your writing. So what country is on your bucket list and why? On my bucket list. I have I have a long bucket list. Uh, I would love to, that I haven't been to, uh, I would really, really like to get to Antarctica. Um, a number of my friends and colleagues have been posting from there lately and I'm a little bit jealous. Um, I'd love to get to Mongolia. Uh, that's up there. I would love to spend a week eating in Singapore. I'd love to spend a week eating in Hong Kong. I hear wonderful things about Seoul. Uh, Yeah, the list is too long. All right. So before we wrap up, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you to pitch their stories? Um, I would say, uh, you know, you can email me, certainly. 
it's bf at onthefrontvines.com. That's uh, BF as in Brian Friedman and on the front vines as in a bad pun, not on the front lines, but on the front vines.com. Or you can DM me on Instagram. That That is a good idea because there's a lot less unread there. You know, just find me on there. It's it's I'm at Friedman Reports. Follow, DM me, and uh, I will get back to you. But oftentimes I'll get, you know, I'll get DMs or emails and I'm traveling. So if I don't get back to you, it's it's nothing personal. So follow up. But please don't pitch me about kombucha. I just, you know, it's not happening. <laughs> Duly noted. So, Brian, thank you so much. We had a blast. And so nice to get to know you even more and better. And we appreciate your time so much. So thank you. And we're, we're looking forward to seeing you and raising a glass or several. I like several better. And thank you guys for, for having me on and the opportunities and all that and all that you do for our industry. So, you know, cheers to you both. That was a tasty and spirited conversation. Now that you know what Brian is looking for, please feel free to reach out to him and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard him on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.analeecommunications.com. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.